Alright, hey guys, welcome to Sunday service. It's good to have you guys. I give some love to uh, our, our tech team in the back. We have all our interns back there today doing our work. Yeah. You know, they're learning. Learning, learning, learning. You know, I, I, I wrote this series with the intention and the reminder that knowing that I cannot get you to love Jesus, I cannot get you to want to be a follower of Jesus, right? That's between the Holy Spirit and you. But what I can do is help you reveal and help you actually discern your walk and your situation with God at this moment, right? And the Beatitudes that we've been going through is meant to be very telling because what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to lay out a picture of my kingdom, of what it looks like to be a part of my kingdom. And as he lays this picture out, he identifies characteristics of citizens of his kingdom. Right? And last week, what we talked about, we, we talked about the inward attitudes of a believer, of someone who calls himself a disciple, of someone who calls himself a Christian or a follower of Jesus. We looked at the attitudes that, that showed that you ought to be poor in spirit, meaning you come into a place where you realize, I cannot I cannot help myself. I'm unable to fix the problems in my life. I realize that. I've chased after it. And the only thing I've come to the conclusion of is that I'm still empty. And if you've come to that conclusion, bless you. But there are a lot of us who are still chasing and still wondering if I can just grab that. I'll be happy. Another attitude that we went through last week was that it was that you're mourning. That you have a, a characteristic where you actually mourn for your sin. You mourn because you recognize that the things you do that goes in, in direct um, contrast with God, you miss the mark of what God has called you to be and that you mourn in it. You mourn in the actual attitude of where you are and then you realize how meek you are. Meekness is this, this, this attitude of saying, I know I cannot save myself, I need God. And not just any of that, but that you hunger and that you seek for righteousness. You seek for him to save you. See, this is a very important uh, series because it reveals exactly your heart. Guys, church, those of us who've been in church most of our lives, and maybe some of us who've been just saved recently, it reveals something that's been going on. The question is, do these characteristics match you? Do these characteristics, are they a part of who you are, inwardly and outwardly? And today I want to talk about this posture or this, this attitude, outward attitude called peacemaking. That if you are a disciple of Jesus, he calls us, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. They'll be called sons of God. Okay? I want to talk to you about that today because reality is this. Don't come to Jesus here. Yes, church. Don't come to Christianity because it's going to make your life better, even though it will. Don't come to Christianity because you believe that it will have all the answers for societal issues, even though it does. Don't come to Christianity because you think that it will help your mental state of life, even though it will. Come to Christianity, come to Jesus because he's true, because he's real. Because if he's not true and he's not real, there's no reason for you to dedicate 
and engage your life and put your full trust into this whole entire system, thought, life, relationship. But if he is who he says he is, then the question that has to go through your heart is this. Am I a believer? Do I actually trust and love Jesus as much as I proclaim with my lips? If I check my heart, has there been a change in my heart? Today, as we open up our scriptures, we open up the word, Jesus' words himself, declaring in this sermon the outward characteristic of a believer. And it's very telling. And I hope that as we listen to it and as we get engaged in this, we hear this truth come forth. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Verses 9 to 12. I'm, I'm, I'm so serious about this in, in such a way, guys, because it's, um, it, it, it almost sometimes it breaks my heart when I, when I, when I see sons and daughters of God walking and living and not actually living in such a way where they believe what they're saying or they believe it so much that they will do whatever it takes for it to happen. Do you have the outward characteristic of a peacemaker? Check this out. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, he says, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecuted, who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay. I've been having, it's, it's, it's telling for our culture and generation, I've been having a lot of conversations with young brothers and sisters constantly lately about um, their life. And not just about their life, but about whether they want to live anymore. I would have friends who called me to ask me to come and speak to their friends about their life and say, you know, I have a friend who's, who wants to commit suicide, who's thinking about it. Can you come and say something to them, Right? And as I go there, I'm, 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 I'm sitting there, I'm waiting, I'm praying, I'm asking God, like, give me the words, give me what I need to say, and show me what I, see, like, show me what I need to do just to get them to realize that, the, that their life, that there's so much more possibilities in life and that death is so final, right? Lord God, give me the words to plead in this case for them. And the only thing that kept coming to my heart was this, was just tell them about me. Whether they believe it or not, but tell them about me and how much you actually believe in me. And I didn't know what that meant for the long time. As I was sitting there, I remember this past week I was sitting there and, I was, and this, uh, the person walked in and I, I sat there and they, were, and they were telling me their story and they're telling me why they feel like life is just useless, why it's empty, why they have nothing to live for, even though their life looks like it has many things to live for. But the way they've engaged the world, the way in which they see the world, they feel like nothing is helpful, nothing is useful, nothing is good. So they just want to say, I just want to end it all. That if I close my eyes, it will end. And the only thing I was, I was thinking, all the psychological things I should say, I was thinking all the therapeutic things I should say, I was thinking about all my counseling things I was taught to say. And the one thing I, I kept, I actually, I looked at him and I said this, I don't want you to die without knowing Jesus. And then they're like, well, I don't believe in God, but I believe in God. And this is how much I believe in God, that I'm willing to sit here and beg you. I am 20 years your senior, but I will sit here and I will beg you not to take your life. 
Because I know for a fact that after you take your last breath, it does not end. It will not end. That what is waiting for you is way worse than what you are thinking and expecting and feeling at this moment. I'm here to beg with you. And you know, what they were saying to me was like, you know what, I don't believe what you're saying, but I know you're very passionate about what you're saying. And so we had a whole conversation about why I believe what I believe, a whole apologetic session about that. But it came back down to this one thing I kept asking her. I kept telling her, don't take your life. Because I know what's after. You believe, you, you believe without reason that if you take your last breath, everything's going to be great. All pain goes away. All misery goes away. I will tell you for a fact, you take your last breath and it will not go away. And I gave her this illustration. You're like, I know you hate America because, you know, she's Gen Z, right? I know you hate this country, right? And you think that if this country would just be different, everything will work out. I know you think you hate life. The equivalent of what happens to you if you leave this country and you go somewhere else is I take you and I, and, I, and I plant you in North Korea, right? You think that this country is worse? Go there. You think that this life is bad? Wait what's waiting for you. And I begged her. 37-year-old man sitting at Portolo's Coffee, right? Girl in front of him crying, which is already a bad sign like for everyone who's walking by. And I'm just sitting there and I'm begging. Don't take your life. I have nothing else to say to you. I have no therapeutic words to say to you. All I'm saying to you is Jesus loves you. He is real. He has sent me here to this day to tell you that there is something more after this. And you do not want to take your life. The question I'm asking you guys as a church and as believers and as followers of Jesus Christ today is this. Do you actually believe in who Jesus says he is? Do you actually believe in what he proclaims to have? Because if you do, where is your passion for him? Where is your heart for him? You're passionate about boba, I know. I see it on Instagram all the time. You're passionate about food, you're passionate about travel, you're passionate about all these things. But where is your passion for Christ when it comes to loving people? Is it there? And Jesus says this, the characteristics of the people of my nation, the people that is called by my name, my sons, my daughters, the, the characteristic is this, that you are peacemakers. That your life is a life of making peace. Now, what does that mean? Three things I want to share with you guys about that term, peacemaker. I want you guys to understand this deeply, okay? Because one, it tells you about your heart. Two, it tells you about where your direction is. And three, it gives you your purpose of what you need to do. It gives you a purpose that in 2021, are we actually living to be peacemakers? Three things. What is peace? What is peacemaking? And then ultimately, why does peacemaking bring persecution? What is peace? What is peacemaking? And why does peacemaking bring persecution? What is peace? When the Bible calls you, when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, he is not saying, blessed are you who, who live about trying to bring inner tranquility. Okay? This is not that meditational peace. This is not this sense of being peace. This is not this, the end of hostility peace, right? 
but the end, the end of, uh, of, of disruption in your heart, mental uh, disruption in your heart, emotional uh, baggage. It's not the end of that. That's not what this peace that Jesus is saying that you're supposed to bring. The peace that you're supposed to bring is the end of hostility. Everybody look at you and say, hostility. You're right. You are called to bring an end to hostility. And you know what that hostility is? You are called to bring the end of hostility between God and man. My brothers, my sisters, you are called to bring the end of hostility between God and man. That's what peacemaking means. Now, some of you guys are thinking, oh, PT, I don't, I don't hate God. Right? Like, I mean, like, I don't, I don't hate him. I might, not be, I might be indifferent to him. I might, I might, I might um, not think about him. But I don't hate him. I would beg to differ. Because the one time, think about this, the one time when God made himself touchable, when God made himself vulnerable, the one time when God made himself in a position that can be killed, what did humanity do? We killed him. There is a deep-rooted seed of hostility in the human heart when it comes to God. But I know you keep thinking to yourself, no, man, not me. The worst-case scenario, man, I am indifferent to God. I don't hate God. But let me tell you this. Psychologists would tell you it's the hatred that we hide from ourselves, the one that we won't admit even to ourselves, that's the type of hatred that actually distorts your life the most. You follow me? It's not the one that you are fully in, uh, front of uh, face, one-on-one acknowledging. It's the one that you hide deep inside is the one that messes you up the most. It's the one that he says, you know what, I'm indifferent, I don't care. Yeah, I don't hate them. Yeah, sure, I forgive them. But deep down inside, you know that's that itch. Deep down inside, you know that there's that bitterness. Deep down inside, you know that if anything triggers it, it will come back up. It's that hate that's rooted deep inside, the one that you hide from, even from yourself. It's the one that actually distorts you the most. How many times when I hear young brothers tell me, I don't hate my father, but you know they hate their dads, right? Tupac once said that my pain won't let me cry for a stranger because his father was never around, right? There's a deep-rooted hate, hostility towards God. It's in all of us, and it's distorted our lives. It distorted us intellectually, emotionally, and volitionally. Okay? What is peace? Peace is the end of hostility between you and God, between God and man. Do you have this peace? Let's look at it. Three areas where you can test yourself whether you have an hostility and enmity towards God. All right, you guys ready? I didn't get this for myself. This is from Jonathan Edwards. He said this. You have, check your intellectual hostility. Do you have an intellectual hostility towards God? I bet you do. I bet you a lot of you guys pick up your Bibles, you start reading it, and you're like, what? And then you're like, nah, right? You pick up the Bible, and you hear God saying things to you. You're hearing God's, you're reading things about God, and you're reading things about what he's asking you to do, and your response to God is, nah, 
Intellectually, I cannot accept this. Intellectually, I don't want to accept this. Intellectually, this comes against everything I have been grown and bred to understand. Therefore, no. I don't want to trust you. I don't want to give you this obedience. I don't want to give you this time. Intellectually, you know there are places in your life where you are hostile to God. Believer or not believer, even as you're a believer, you're still wrestling with your intellectual hostility towards God, right? I remember when I, was in the, when I was just barely learning to read the Bible, opening it up, I remember the story of Elisha. You guys know Elisha, right? Homeboy was bold. Okay, so he wasn't that pretty. Bunch of kids made fun of him, and then God calls out. He prayed, and then a, bunch of, a bear came out, killed the kids. I'm like, what just happened here? What in the world? Just because he was bald and they made fun of him? Like, do I have that power, right, to call out bears out of nowhere? I couldn't believe it. You read about the New Testament, you hear about Jesus. Jesus talks about hell more than anyone in the Bible. And you're like, whoa, I thought Jesus was about love. I came here because I was all about love. And here it is, talking about hell all the time. Intellectually, we find ourselves hostile to God. And even now, as you are growing in your faith, even now as you sit here and you wonder to yourself as you read this, can I actually trust what he has to say to me about my future, about my marriage, about the sacred search for marriage? We're going to talk about that in a couple of months or a couple of weeks about a believer, disciple, and looking for your, your spouse. I hope you guys be there for that one, okay? That one's going to be fire, I promise, right? Do I trust him when it comes to spiritual discipline that if I pray, that if I actually seek him, will, I, will, there, will there actually be changes in my life? See, a lot of us, you're intellectually hostile towards God because no matter how often you pick up this Bible and you read it and there's a command that's spoken deeply to your heart, your natural reflex is to say, nope, not having it. And then you complain. You know what you complain about? I wish God would be more direct with my life. Just tell me what to do, God. Like, dude, I literally told you what to do. You said no. What am I supposed to What else? How do you know there's hostility between you and God? Intellectually. Secondly, you know how else you know? Volitionally. Your will. Your will is in hostile territory towards God. How many, think about this. If you made a promise to somebody, right? If you made a promise, if I made a promise to my wife, say, honey, don't worry, I'm going to be home at 10 p.m. after salt. No, no, I promise you I'll get there, right? They will not keep me back. I will be there by 10, Okay? I'm going to keep my promise. I'm not going to forget it because I'm, I have a promise to my wife. Now, how many times we make the same type of promises to God and then we forget the promises altogether? Can you imagine if I just forgot the promise and I just, oh, I promised, and then I just blew it away. I walked in at 1 a.m. in the morning, right? What type of relationship with that? Wouldn't that be me being hostile to her? And yet, what do we do with God? How oftentimes do you beg God in the midst of trouble? God, if you would deliver me from this, I promise, I promise I will change my ways. I promise I will pray. I promise I will get it back together. And then you get out of it, and then all of a sudden, all those promises, all those begging, all those hours on your knees or minutes on your knees goes out the window because you just said, ah, that was great, and you forget all about it. Isn't that hostile? Wouldn't that be a hostile relationship? God say, well, I thought we had, I thought you were just, we had this thing, you know, you, you promised me all this, and then you just totally forgot about it. Wouldn't it be hostile 
Right? These are things that you would never do to another human being. Make promises. Declare. And then bone out. And even if you do, you actually feel bad about it. You feel kind of guilty. You feel like you're being fake. You feel like you abandoned something. And yet, how many times do we do it before God and not have a shred of guilt in there? What point am I trying to make you guys? I'm trying to share with you guys this truth. In the depths of our hearts, because we broke it down, we pushed it down so much, there is an actual hostility that we have between us and God. Mankind has this natural reflex to rebel against God. It's a natural hostility. Intellectually, volitionally, and you know what the third one is? Emotionally. Emotionally, we're hostile towards God. Right? Can you imagine if, 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 if I did you a favor, and it was a great favor, and, 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 and you feel, you know, thankful, grateful for the favor, you feel like it was great, and then, you know, in, in, in relationship, you feel kindness and warmness towards that? Right? Imagine if I did you a favor, right, or you you did me a favor, and then after the favor was finished, and I see you walking, instead of acknowledging and actually being warm to you, I just gave you a cold shoulder, thinking like, eh, and walked away. Emotionally, when we have like a bad week, it would seem that we should turn to the death of Jesus on the cross and see his sacrifice and automatically have that console us emotionally, shouldn't it? Shouldn't like I had the worst week, but you know what? I'm a sinner saved by Christ. That's all right. It's the equivalent of saying this. It's the equivalent of saying I have ten million dollars in my bank account, and I just had to spend a quarter to buy this gumball, and I'm really upset about this quarter. I'm so upset about this quarter. You see, if you actually emotionally are at peace with God, what happens? I have $10 million in the bank account. I lost nothing in spending a quarter. I've lost nothing in having a bad day. I have been saved by my God. What was once hostile now is peace. It should console us in every situation. Well, what happens? It doesn't. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the rock split. It split in response to Jesus' death, and yet our heart stays intact. And we say, so what? So what that he died for me? I'm having a bad day. So what that he bought me eternal life? I'm having a bad week. So what that I've been promised beyond grace, beyond mercy, beyond what I deserve? I'm having a bad week. It doesn't console me. Who cares about what he did? That's emotional hostility. Do you recognize this in you? Jesus Christ took away the hostility. He made peace between us and God through his death. And we know that we have received his spirit and we know that we are walking in, listen guys, we know that we are walking in line of discipleship and our faith and becoming citizens of, of his kingdom when we are able to see that hostility in us. Do you see this hostility between God and you? 
Do you see it in you? Do you recognize it in you? Because if you can, that is a clear sign. It is a beautiful sign that the Spirit of God is working and is alive in you, making that become a reality. Because a lot of us will go through your whole life thinking, no, I I got no problems with God. There's no enmity between me and him. Everything's fine. And you bottle it up, and you push it down, and you let that bottled up, caged up hostility distort and poison who you are as a person. What is peace? It's not about creating tranquility and a better state of mind. Peace, it's about ending hostility. Your hostility between God and man, between God and you. Do you have peace, church? Do you recognize that hostility in you, brothers and sisters? So what are the signs that you do recognize it? What are the signs of this peace in your life? Okay, what are the signs? There are signs, of course, right? One, you recognize the hostility between you and God. You recognize intellectually, emotionally, volitionally. Can you understand that? I, I was asking the youth group this question, like, why are you sometimes upset with God? Because I wish God would just tell me things directly. I wish God would, not, would be more clear about this. I wish God would just show up. I think God's a good father, guys. I know he's a good father. And he does not, if he showed you everything right away, you won't be able to handle it. It's like my son when he wrestles with me, right? He wrestles with me, and he thinks he's, he thinks he's all that because he's getting bigger, right? And he's like, Daddy, I can take you. So every day, he's just trying. He's like, Daddy, let's go. I'm like, all right. You know? He said, today, Daddy, use more than 10% of your power, right? I was like, nah, if I use more than 10%, you're dead, right? He said, no, Daddy, help me grow. Give me 50%, right? I said, bro, if I give you 50%, you will definitely die, right? He said, no, Daddy, I can do it. I said, no. Nah. So I so I, I will we'll battle, and like he, he'll beat me because I'm like barely fighting. He's like, so are you using, are you using your, your powers? How much are you using right now? I was like, ah, maybe three. Three? Daddy, no, upgrade it. I'm like, ah, I don't know, right? He said, show it to me. Show me. I'm like, all right, right? Because after a while, like, mom's yelling. He's like, hurry up, brush his teeth. And I'm like, all right, we got to finish. He's like, no, daddy, show me. He says, all right, get up. I mean, then we get up, right? I said, I'll, just one hand. I'll tie the other hand. He's like, oh, you, you, you're not going to beat me, dad. Like, all right, come here. He comes, grabs him, twists his leg, and he's like, ah, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And I said, do you know how much power that was? He says, how much? 10.3%, right? He's like, ah, right? And he freaks out, Okay. Can you imagine, can you imagine if God was a good father, he is a good father, and you told him, God, tell me, tell me, directly show me, he will say, you will die. You won't be able to handle it. What if I told you that in 10 years you're going to die? What if I told you that in 20 years I'm going to send you to North Korea? What would you do at this moment? You would freak out. You would, because you can't, you have not developed the emotional capacity, spiritual capacity, intellectual capacity to even wrap your head around that. At this point, you'd be like, North Korea? No, I'll die. Duh, that's why I didn't tell you. But how do I know that he loves me? How do you know? 
He gave you the one thing as proof, his son. He said, look, do you not think I'm for you? I gave you my son as a deposit to show you that you can trust. Look, it's a two-way relationship. I have shown you that you can trust me. How? I let my son die in your place. And in return, in return, I ask that you trust me. Trust me. And what is our response? Meh. Maybe. Think about it. I'll keep it as an option. Right? I don't want to close it on you because, you know, I don't know what's going to happen because you're so mysterious. I don't want to close that. But I have other options. And he says, no. I have to be your only option. I have to be your only option. There is no plan B, no plan C. I am your only option. How can I trust that you are going to be good for me? I gave you my son. I gave you my son. And a lot of you guys who aren't fathers, I don't think you understand that, 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 how much that means, right? And I think you guys can intellectually uh, feel it, but you know, emotionally, right? I love you guys. I really love you guys. But if something was going to go down and you needed Seth's blood to save you, I'll be like, look, I'll see you in heaven. Honestly, that's, I love you. I'll see you in heaven, right? It's like that. It's, like, it's hard for me as a human being. Like, I can't imagine how the infinite God was able to separate himself from his son. And yet he did it. As a deposit to say, I love you that much. That the plans I have for you is to help you. But I need you to trust me. Read my word. Follow it. Walk with me. And trust me. And our hostility towards God is, meh. I'll think about it. Option C, if A and B doesn't pan out. How do you know you have this peace with God? How do you know this hostility is being broken in your life? One, you actually recognize the hostility. But two, worship is a great celebration for you. You know why I love Sunday service? It's not just the fact that it's Sunday service, right? That, that when we come together, we're able to celebrate. Celebrate the peace that we have with God. You see, if, if you don't actually recognize the hostility, then when the peace comes, you don't know what to celebrate. See, a lot of us, we come here, we, we sing, we, 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 we go through the motion of it, we pray, we, we listen, we, we do our things, and we think, oh, that's just what I have to do. But you don't think of it as a celebration. You know why? Because oftentimes you don't see how broken and hostile you were before God and how much he had to bridge that peace for you. You don't realize what you escaped and the peace that you now have. And so you don't celebrate it as if it is a real celebration when you are able to avoid hostility. I think I told this story a long time ago, but I'll tell it again because I like it because it's a funny story. Right? You know, when you, I grew up in New York. You know, in New York, the one thing you learn, even as a kid, is you learn to have to, you have to get as much respect as possible. Because if you don't have respect in the streets or in your school or in your friends, they're going to pick on you and they're going to they're gonna make your life a living nightmare. Okay? So you have to just learn to just get respect, meaning that you just have to be tough as best you can, right? Say stuff, whatever you need to say, just to make yourself look like you're bigger than you, who you really are, right? And I remember 
uh, I was in elementary school, it was indoor school, it was during winter time, and we were walking down the hall, and this, this, this kid bumped into me. I was walking with my friends, the kid bumped into me, my, my backpack fell down, everything fell out, and you know how kids are, they're like, ooh, ooh, starting stuff, ooh, right? And I'm like, you know, red in the face, because I'm embarrassed, I'm like, oh, I picked up my stuff, I'm trying to find that guy who did this, I'm like, who, where are you? And I turn around, and it's like this, you know, this third grader looking at me, and I'm like, you know, I'm small, and he's a little bit bigger, you know? And I'm like, oh, shoot, right? In my head, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm dead, right? Don't start a fight. Don't start a fight. But you know what? I have, to, I have to, you know, gain respect. So I said, yo, what's your problem, right? And the kid's like, what? You want to die, right? Me and you after school, at the basketball court. I said, yeah, all right. I'll see you there, you know? But the whole time, as I'm picking my backpack, I was like, I am so dead. I am so dead. And my friends are like, don't worry, man. I got your back. You know, you're all going to be okay. Dude, you, you're crazy, man. You stood up to them. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah. So I'm like, the whole day I'm freaking out. Like, I'm going to get beat up. And I'm just afraid that after I get beat up and if there's any, like, actual bruises, I'm going to come home. My grandma's going to beat me up even more for having bruises. So I'm, like, I'm just, like, thinking, like, just a horrible day of just being beaten up. And I sat out in there. I walked out into the basketball court. I'm just standing there waiting. And these guys are there with me. And third grader and his crew came, right, which is, like, just a couple kids, you know. And then, you know, we looked at each other, and my friends were like, yeah, we're going to get you, okay? And then all my friends were like, oh, man, I got to go. Tell me my mom's here. I'm like, no, bro, like, where are you going? Like, oh, oh my, my uncle just came. Like, oh, okay, well, oh, shoot, you know? And there he is, him and his buddies were like, oh, you know, so what do I do? Do I run? No, of course not. You run, you will never be able to stand in school again tomorrow. So I'm like, all right, I guess I just got to just get beat up today. But, you know, I'm not going to go down without actually looking like I'm a, I'm a G. So I'm like, yo. You know, when, guys, when kids talk, when they, before they fight, they don't fight. They actually talk, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to punch you till your mom feels it, right? I'm like, yeah. We just walk around in circles for a little bit. And I'm just trying to buy time. Maybe a principal will walk out. A teacher will walk out. Somebody come and save me. But nobody was there. And I'm just like, okay, I guess we're about to throw punches. And then heaven shined down upon me. My grandma walks to come pick me up. I'm like, oh, my grandma's here. And so, you know, I'm trying to act tough, but I know she's there. So I'm thinking, how am I supposed to get her to save me, right? So I was like, so I screamed out in Vietnamese, but I screamed it like in a, in a man, like a, a, like a mad, angry voice. And I said, Grandma, as I was looking at this guy. And she was like, you know, she's kind of deaf. She's like, huh? Right? It's like, Grandma, save me, right? I said, he wants to beat me, right? In Vietnamese, but I'm like screaming at this guy as I'm, as I'm saying it to her. And he's like, you know, he sees an adult figure. He's like, hey, what are you saying? I said, I told her to leave because I'm about to beat you, right? And, and then she was like, and, he, and she's like, what? She's like, huh? It's like, hurry. I said, Grandma, come here. Save me, right? And then, you know, this guy's like, he's looking at my grandma. And, you know, my grandma, she's short, but she looks pretty scary too, you know? And then my grandma, being my grandma, she said like, you're stupid. And then she walked away. And I was like, oh, God, I'm so dead, right? I'm so dead. And then I was like, all right, so let's, let's just get going, you know? And the guy at the third grade, he looked at me and said, you know, you got, a lot of, you, got, you got a lot of cojones, man. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's right. He's like, all right, we're cool. I'm like, okay, no, first of all, we're not cool. We're cool because I'm cool, right? He says, this is how it is. He's like, no, we're cool. I'm not going to fight you, right? You're pretty good. I'm like, yeah. But I want you to know that if you did... Mm, right? So I walked away. I walked away, walked back. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to tell you that hostility that was there when the peace was made. And I was walking home without bruises in my face, knowing that I'm not going to get beat. Oh, my Lord. There was a joy and a celebration in my soul. I was like, yes, that was a good day. 
that was a good day. You know, I think I had like a, like a, a skip in my step because I was happy that I avoided hostility, you know? You see, if we actually had peace between us and God, that was between me and a third grader, guys, right? If it's between us and an infinite God and there's a hostility that we have for God, the judgment that God has for us, and we've been made peace with that, the natural response that should come out of your life is praise God. Praise God. It should be a praising and a celebration, not, oh, yeah, I just got to show up to service. I guess I should be early or late. I don't know, right? Should we have lunch first, guys? Like, I don't know. What are the signs of peace? There's great celebration. Do you have that? Peace? Do you recognize the hostility? What's another sign of peace? You're no longer scared to death of failure. Right? I think a lot of us are, and some of us are Gen Z, right? Some are millennials as well, right? Well, I think a big, big chunk of us are millennials, right? I think, I think the, the disservice that we've had in our upbringing, in our culture, in our society, is that we've been, we, we've, we've been indoctrinated to believe that, that, that we build our self-confidence based on things that, you know, being last place and you get a participation trophy, right? You think like, oh, yeah, you know, like I, I participated. I, I'm somebody, you know, I made it, right? You get a sticker home. You get a certificate home saying that you're a great listener. Like, oh, wow, I didn't know they give away those things. Like, woohoo, you know? And you, and, and you know in your heart that doesn't build your self-confidence. It actually devalues you because you know you didn't deserve it, but at the same time it devalues the one who actually did something to deserve it, right? And so you, we, we've been bred in our culture to believe that unless we've been valued or have some sort of word spoken into our life, that we don't have that confidence to do things. So what do we do? We overwork ourselves, and our, our whole entire idea of success is our performance. We, a lot of you guys, no fault of you, are workaholics. You're perfectionists. You want to do everything perfectly, performing perfectly, right? You want to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, I've made it. And you're scared to death of failure. You're scared to death to be disinherited in terms of the world's um, words to you, saying, you know what, you're not good enough. This is not good enough. And because of that, you're constantly in this unbelievable chase. But here's the thing. Here's, here's the beautiful thing about peace between you and God. It frees you. It frees you from the fear of failure. Because what is, what are the words of serfs? Who cares about the words of peons when I have the acknowledgement of the king? Who cares about the value and the system of this culture that tells me I'm somebody when my king has made peace with me and calls me his son and his daughter? So even if I do my best and it doesn't succeed, I will not feel like I'm a failure. 
Because I have the voice of the king. I don't need someone to tell me that somehow I'm great. I have the word of God telling me I am his son. And I have value because of my relationship with him. You see, I can lose battles after battles after battles, but the real battle is won when you're at peace with God. You guys following me? My question is this. Check your heart. Are you at peace, church? Because that is the characteristic of a son and daughter of the kingdom of God. It's a blessed are the peacemakers, for there shall be called the sons and daughters of God. Is that your characteristic? That's what peace is. Do you have peace first? Before I tell you what you should be as a peacemaker, the first question you have to ask yourself is, do I have peace between God? Or have my relationship in this whole community been about just that? It's just about the connection with the community and no peace between me and God. Because intellectually, I'm still hostile to God. Emotionally, I'm still hostile to God. Volitionally, I'm still hostile to God. I Look at God, and you know what? He's basically plan C and plan D of my life because I still have plan A and plan B to hold on to. Are you at peace? So what is a peacemaker then? What is a peacemaker? Because if you are at peace, let me tell you what it means to be a peacemaker. Whether you are a doctor, lawyer, engineer, Pharmacist, teacher, student, right? The issue is not what you do, but are you a peacemaker while doing it? You get me? It's not about the job. It's not about the vocation. The question is, are you a peacemaker while doing it? God can take any situation and bless you in any possible way. You could be... You could be a trash collector, um, a, a butler, a pastor, right? Make little to no money, right? Little to no respect in the hierarchy of success. Be the lowest thing. But the question you have to ask is, am I a peacemaker at this? Because if you are a peacemaker in whatever vocation you are in, then I tell you, you're living out the purpose of a son and daughter of the kingdom of God. See, my hope is that you don't judge yourself or correct yourself based on where you stand in the hierarchy level of culture and success. Because culture and the society tell you what success is, tells you what purpose looks like, tells you that unless you have, you know, A, B, C, and D, family, job, career, retirement, now you're finally successful. If you're, vacation time, if you're finally having all this, now you're successful. If you look at the culture and you, did, and you judge yourself based on that culture, you will never be at peace. The question that God is saying, no matter what you do, no matter where you are, whether you're a student or you're the highest authority in this land, the question is, are you a peacemaker? If peace is ending the hostility between you and God, then the peacemaker is that you are somebody who brings the end of hostility between God and the people around you, wherever you're at. Peacemakers are like Jesus. He made peace not by not making trouble. He made peace by making waves. He made peace because wherever he was at, he was not afraid to point out the hostility between God and man. 
He made peace between God and man because wherever he was at, he was not afraid to speak about God and man's relationship. And he made waves doing it. And he was persecuted for doing it. Peacemaking, as you guys would know, is announcing the good news. It is evangelism. It is not whether you have the option of doing it. The question is, are you doing it? Are you a peacemaker? How do you know you're working at peacemaking? You guys ever asked that question? How do I, so, okay, fine. I get that. But how do I know if I'm actually working at it? When you look at the people at your work, when you look at your friends in school and in class, when you're with your colleagues, when you're with your students, when you're with your non-believing friends, do you ever say in your heart, how can I help them along in their journey of making peace with God? Is that a natural reflex that goes into your mind and your heart? Is that something that actually it burdens you to the core of who you are? Does it burden you? Does it burden you guys? Because if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you know exactly the truth of their destination. Does it burden you? Does it weigh heavy upon your heart? Are you thinking in your mind? You can, again, work in that field. Take your time. Be the friend. But are you asking the question, what am I doing? How can I help them along their journey to make peace with God? Are you doing that? I'm not saying that this has to be done every single day, every single moment, because if you do that, that's obnoxious, and you're pretty fanatical, right? What I'm saying is that, but is that part of your life? Is that a reflex of your life? You know what a reflex is? A reflex is like this. You wake up in the morning, and you grab your phone. That's a reflex, right? It should be the moment you see somebody, you should be thinking, how can I bless them? That's a reflex. When you walk into a situation, into a room, into a place, the question you should be asking is, how can I flourish this place? How can I make this place in such a way where the people that I'm encountering in this place would begin to recognize their relationship with God? Is that a reflex that you have? Because this is what Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, but they will be called sons of God. You know who's the son of God? Jesus was the son of God. And we are all to fall in Jesus' place. Those of you guys say, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing in my life. Be a peacemaker. Start there. Work on that and see what other doors open up for you. But here's the last thing, okay? What is peace? Peace is the ending of hostility between you and God. What is a peacemaker? A peacemaker is someone who is willing to stand in the place and fight to show people the hostility between them and God and make peace with that. Help the people make peace with that. Here's the last part, and this is the hardest part, and this is the most telling part here. You guys ready? For if you are a peacemaker, if you are a peacemaker, the one sign, the one clearest sign that you are a peacemaker is this, persecution. Look at verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, he says. 
And be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All Christians are persecuted. Period. There is not a situation, right, where a Christian is not persecuted. If you live to make peace, you will be persecuted. And this is very frightening, and this is very telling. If you are a believer a citizen of the kingdom of God, one of the response that would naturally happen is that you will be persecuted. But let me talk about persecution real fast before you guys get into your martyr complex because I know some of you guys guys have those complexes, right? Just because you're persecuted doesn't mean that you're living living a godly life either, okay? I want to let you guys know that just because you are persecuted, it doesn't mean that you're living a godly life. It could be you're persecuted because you're obnoxious right now. It could be you're persecuted because whenever you step into the room, you sound very fanatical. It could be because you're persecuted is that you're very an unpleasant person to be around whenever you step foot into the room. A lot of people who are persecuted because they are fanatical and obnoxious, they happen to be Christian, right? And they think that they're being persecuted because of righteousness, but you're not. You're being persecuted because you're annoying, This is the extreme. The more God's glory shines upon you, the more you will attract and repel people. If nobody's reacting either way towards you, that means not much of Jesus is showing forth in you either way, okay? If nobody's being attracted in because of your unusual love, right, or, or you're being repelled because of your holiness, then there's not much going on there in your terms of your life and the way you live for Jesus Christ. Yes, yes, hear that? If nobody's being attracted in because of your unusual love or because of your desire for holiness, you know what that tells people? You know what that tells your, what that should reveal about your heart? That there's nothing there when it comes to actual relationship with Jesus. See, but if you're always being persecuted, you're probably just obnoxious. But if you've never been persecuted... You're probably a coward. If you're always persecuted, you're probably obnoxious and annoying. But you're never persecuted, you're probably a coward. The truth lies somewhere in the middle in the way we build relationships. The closer God's glory shines on you, the more you will attract and repel people. How big is God in your life? Right? I remember when I read um, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe series, Narnia series, one of the things that I always uh, <clears throat> never understood was as the books progress, the lion, which represents Aslan, who represents Jesus, always got bigger every time the kids saw him. And I was like, what happened? Why is, why is the lion bigger each time? Right? Like, what happened? Like, in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he was one size, by the time he got into, like, the last battle, which is the seventh book, he's like gigantic. I was like, why? And this is the reason why. Every moment that the kids, the the Pevinci kids, grow in their relationship with God or with Aslan, he became bigger to them. In the beginning, God was small. He's just an idea and understanding. 
But as the relationship grows, he becomes bigger in your life. Bigger and bigger and bigger. And if God is truly big enough in your life and his glory is there, then the one thing begins to happen as you live to be peacemakers. You will attract and you will repel. Because if he is that big, there's no way possible you are not moved to move, to change. You are not moved to act. You are not moved to help. Church, can, you, can I just ask you guys that? I cannot help you love God. I cannot force you to love God. But what I can do is reveal to you where your heart is at by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm just using the words. If in this moment right now as you sit here and you're listening to this and in your heart you recognize there is a hostility between you and God and all this time you have disowned it, dis- not even thought about it, indifference to it, and you've come to the realization of it. Can I tell you something? That's the Holy Spirit working in you. And that is God speaking to you and saying, would you trust me now? Trust me now. And if you're sitting there, church, and your Christian life, though you love God, though you recognize your hostility, that's why you repented of your sins. That's why you understood the power of forgiveness. But in your Christian walk today, as 2020 has totally messed us up. Do you guys realize that? 2020, the woke became woke, and the church who was supposed to be awake fell asleep. We fell asleep, and the world became woke. We closed our doors, people disconnect from their faith, and they fell asleep to their Christian walk and their relationship with God. And all the while, the world around us woke up not in a good way, but they became woke. The church, you, the body, is always meant to be awake. Your eyes are meant to be open to see the truth of what it is, and you, you are called to be peacemakers, to show the world to wake up and see the hostility between them and God, that it is real, that it is true. And wherever you're at, whether you're at work, at school, at church, with friends, with family, at school, your vocation is there, but the question is, are you a peacemaker there? You've lost nothing, you guys. If this if this truth of this truly engages your heart, you've lost nothing. I have so many times people come to me and they ask me, yo, man, like, do you regret it? I'm like, regret what? Do you regret giving up the, the possibility of being a doctor? Do you, get, do you regret taking the road as a pastor and living day by day? Do you regret having that situation happen to you? And I always tell them, I've lost nothing. I've lost nothing. What do you think I've lost? Success? What do you think I've lost? Prestige? Money? Clout? You know what those things are? They're 25 cents. Compared to the millions that's stored up. I've lost nothing. And the thing that sometimes that keeps us away from being peacemakers is that we're so afraid of losing. You've lost nothing if you have God. You've lost nothing if you have God. 
And that's my hope for you. That's my prayer for you is that you realize that, that Jesus Christ gives up his life to tell you you've lost nothing if you have me. Let's pray.